This week's episode is brought to you by Warner Brothers Television and DC Entertainment's acclaimed drama series, Black Lightning, from executive producers Salim Akil, Mara Brock Akil, and Berlanti Productions for The CW. The New York Times declares Black Lightning is pulp with a purpose, while the Los Angeles Times calls it a thrilling, smart, and pop culture savvy series that bounces between present-day politics and escapist fantasy. And The Atlantic says Black Lightning offers what is arguably the most timely and nuanced portrayal of the internal conflicts that can arise within the African-American community on the subject of racial justice. For your Emmy consideration in all categories. Hi, I'm Dominic Patton. And I'm Pete Hammond. And this is the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Today we'll be discussing the Emmy contenders for Best Actress in a Comedy Series. Plus you'll hear my uh, interview with Norman Lear from One Day at a Time and Dominic's interview with the cast and creators of TNT's The Alienist from our annual Emmys Contenders event. But before we get into those, we're going to talk about Best Actress in a Comedy Series. Now, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, She's owned this, owned this, but she's actually not eligible this year after six years in a row winning. But there is a lot, a lot of great thespians from the small screen who are going to be out here. The question is, who will take away the Emmy? And I will put my bet down right now. It is going to be Rachel Brosnahan from The Marvelous Ms. Maisel. She won the Golden Globe, and she is taking the Emmy. I agree. I think that she's the front runner for Shortest sure. Shortest debate an, in our I, entire history, Mr. Hammond. You never agree with me. I agree with you this time. Uh, I think that she's the front runner for sure. Whether I would say that five months out as definitively as you said that, I think that's a little dangerous. Um, but there's no question. Well, a, you know, danger is my middle name. My <laughs> it's a great role. First of all, it's just a, one of those roles that actors, and let's face it, it's only actors that vote in the Emmys, even in the final Emmys uh, for acting. Uh, it's only the actors branch, and this is an irresistible role uh, for an actor. Oh, just just great. I mean, you know, Amazon have obviously made a big shift in their programming um, from how they started out, where I always thought they excelled in the quirky and the eccentric and the avant-garde, a lot of which was provided by Jill Soloway, but also great shows like Patriot. They've moved, obviously, more to a mainstream approach. There's talk that, that Bezos, Jeff Bezos, you know, with this Lord of the Rings series they're looking for, they're looking to, they're looking to find their Game of Thrones, even more so being the Game of Thrones is basically is coming to an end. I think, though, The Marvelous Ms. Maisel, which is brought to us from the creators of the Gilmore Girls, is actually something which nicely bridges the eccentricities which Amazon excelled in and a really, really accessible show that people just love. I mean, it's, it's based on, a, on the idea. I mean, in many ways, when I first saw it, I thought, and, and I love it, but I thought in many ways it was like, well, this is the life of Joan Rivers, fictionalized. Here's a 1950s New York, uh, New York housewife, incredibly comfortably esconded uh, in, in Manhattan with everything that you'd want, living the American dream, and then her husband, who desires to be a comedian, leaves her, leaves her and her baby, certainly left her in some degree of social disgrace and many other things, and she turns out to be the grand comedian of all this, and the, the, her, 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 her arc in this, and plus, i got to be honest with you, anything that has a cameo by anyone playing Lenny Bruce or the yeah. real Lenny Bruce, I'm in. 
Yeah, plus she's she is a Lenny Bruce style comedian here. I mean, I wouldn't say this is like a, you know, yuck yuck uh, typical comedy uh, that she's doing there. And that's what makes it really interesting, too. And there was some uh, talk that this might have been entered into the drama category. That's been cleared up. Uh, it has been. Now, uh, now I was I was inter- I was interested about that. So yeah. how you know, you 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 understand the nuances of, of these their category rules yeah. so well. So. How would that have worked? I mean, it's clearly a comedy. Well, it's a well, you know, some didn't think it was clearly a comedy. First of all, it's an hour. I call I, I call it the Shameless Syndrome. And yeah. uh, when I was on the board, Shameless Showtime wanted Shameless in the drama series category, and so they entered it the first couple of years, two or three years, uh, as a drama series against the uh, wishes of its creator, who then came to the board, you know, well into the run of the show, wrote a very convincing letter that he. He'd always, just as John Wells I'm talking about, that he'd always considered it a comedy, but had uh, problems with uh, blowback from some Showtime executives who weren't there, no longer there. He uh, pleaded to the board to switch it to comedy, and that was allowed. You know, it's happened with uh, Ali McBeal uh, as well in the past. Um, uh, these these shows that are on the line, and they're all our shows, so they don't fit the traditional uh, thing that we think of in the comedy series categories. But that was the whole thing with Mrs. Maisel. Would they go for drama? But I always thought they would be in comedy because that's where it won its Golden Globe. That's where it was nominated in the Guild Awards uh, overall. So um, it belongs there. And I don't think that that will be a factor in hurting Rachel Brosnahan's chances. Now, other uh, people that will be coming back are probably a repeat of last year. I would see uh, Allison Janney and Mom and Tracy Ellis Ross and perhaps Pamela Adlin. Ellie Kemper seems to be. Oh, I think I think pa- I think Pamela is actually. I think if, if you've seen season two of Better Things, you know that Pamela has like like Donald Glover did in many ways with Atlanta going to Atlanta robbing season, which was their season two under a slightly different name. You know that she has taken a really good show and turned it into a great show, and I think right. that. There is, I get the impression among Academy voters, there's a lot of affection for Pamela. Um, you know, some of it coming over from what, her years on Californication, some of it coming over the first season of Better Things. You know, that nomination last year was a real boost for a show that, that had showed up on FX the way it had. I think that she and the material that she has done, and the fact that the character she plays is, is a working Hollywood actress, former child star, I think that also has a lot of affection with Academy voters. So I actually do think if Rachel is looking at someone she needs to look over her shoulders, someone she to keep her eye on, Pamela's the one. Could be. Could be a, a surprise there for us um, in that that's a little bit more of a sleeper. But you're right. And she came out of the, the box last year right out of there with a nomination. So that was an eye-opener. So I do expect her to come back. And I expect Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, uh, since Jane finally broke through in the category uh, last year. Lily's been nominated year after year, was even on the Board of Governors with me. Uh, she's well-loved by the Academy, obviously. Jane Fonda's a former Emmy winner, and she broke through. So those two slots there. So uh, I want to yeah, mention, I mean, though— and, and Grace Grace and Frankie continues to, to, to just be one of those shows that, you know, just—, just skates over and around and across the generation. So I think there's a lot of hope there. But I'll tell you another show. There are two other shows that I think actually you could see some real, well, two other shows, two other actresses. You could see some real, real uh, muscle coming from, which is Issa Rae from Insecure, uh, which she created, never been nominated, but twice was nominated for the Globes, and Frankie Shaw with Smilt. Now, Frankie was at our Contenders Emmys event this year, and Issa's been with us before. Um, you know, 
Frankie was also nominated for the Globes. Smilf has been one of those shows. I mean, uh, you know, I feel like whenever we talk on these podcasts, I only mention the shows I like, which is maybe the nice thing to do because I can be <laughs> nicer on the podcast than I can be on video, where you can see my face sneering. But I, Smilf is such a great show and so well con- conceived and constructed. And Frankie is the lead character, and it is just brilliant. So I really do think, for me, I could see this breaking down to being Rachel for Marvelous Miss Maisel, Issa for Insecure, Frankie for Smilf, Jane and Lily, or Jane or Lily for Grace and Frankie, and Pamela. I really think that those are the front nominee contending runners. Now, we're going into FYC season. Everyone's doing everything. What I'm saying now means nothing. Two weeks from now means nothing. Five months from now, and certainly by the time we're in the home stretch uh, towards the end of the summer and going into the fall, this could these cards could be completely splayed across the date. Yeah, and let's mention Allison Janney. I, I briefly mentioned her uh, for Mom. Uh, last year, she went... From the supporting category, well, she won an Oscar, and she that's has, you know, why I, I actually think I have it. I think that's why animal. Dominic. If you win an Oscar, you have to you have to <laughs> give, you have to walk out for this one because She's, you're looming in there with this thing because you get to say it all the time. You're like, you know, if Allison honestly should show up at every FYC event for Mom, just kind of casually holding the Oscar, like have a big bag and go <laughs> look something for it, and out comes the Oscar. But I do think that I think if you won an Oscar this year, you just kind of have to say, you know what, I'm just going to sit this one out game of thrones style well let's see if allison sits this one out because i know from having talked to her on the actor's side you can check it out on facebook.com all of our past episodes she um was in love with the fact that she uh could go into the lead actress category after winning supporting which is what she did with west wing and she actually won in both those categories during the uh, course of the west wing and that's what i know I know what she's trying to do. She wants to do the same thing with mom. And coming off that Oscar win, this would be a great opportunity to show that she's got the momentum coming in there uh, to do that. She's certainly front of mind, and everybody's uh, seen her, you know, obviously in the uh, in the movie role. So, so let's see what happens there. And quickly before we go away, why aren't we talking about Deborah Messing, a former winner here? We talked about Eric McCormick in our uh, last podcast. Why aren't we talking about Deborah I, you Messing? Know, I, you know, I, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I know she's been nominated, like, what, five times? I know she won once, two for Will and Grace. And Will and she's Grace like back, Lucy. And she's again. a great comedian. I just don't. I just don't. I, I just don't feel it out there, man. I just don't. All right. I just don't. I mean, look, I'm never going to take anything away from the talent that Deborah has because her talent is immense. But I just don't feel it out there. I'm sorry, Deb. And again, I, I would say I would say something similar to what I said in our uh, when we talked uh, last time about best actor in a comedy series. <clears throat> I feel in this environment. I feel in this this America 2018, Donald Trump's kind of internal and civil war and the chaos that kind of happens every day. I feel like uh, sometimes some of those old schoolers, they're just they're just not they're not in the right place right now. They they're not they're, people aren't feeling that energy the way that they're feeling it in so many other things. And I think that's a role. But you know what? Maybe I'm wrong because the Academy, as you have said many many times, loves and loves 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 repeat performances, loves the old school, and loves people who they feel are their own alums and they connect with. And, and that's I, it. I, I and that's that. obviously. I, I sometimes resent that because I feel it pushes out the new, but I also understand how it wel- it welcomes the the tried and true. That's so, Deb- that's Deborah right. Messing. That's Deborah Messing. But it's also Roseanne, who's a former Emmy winner in this category, and what you were just talking about, and uh, you know that will there be blowback, and 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 this is going to be much discussed during. 
during this Emmy season about the fate of Roseanne and ABC's attempts to bring it back into the Emmys after they brought it back so successfully on the on the air. I was talking to. Well, I mean, the uh, number the numbers were huge. I, you know, I just. See, Roseanne is interesting because, I mean, Roseanne almost is a podcast unto herself in more ways than one. And, yeah. you know, and, and she will ter- certainly rip us a new, a new one um, on Twitter, as she does so many people. I, you know, I feel like Roseanne is a, Roseanne, Roseanne is a polarizing figure and kind yes. of always has been. I mean, I, yeah. I remember when the show debuted no when, when, I was in, you know, when I was in college. You know, I, I spent way too long talking about Roseanne as opposed to Kierkegaard. But I felt like, you know, I feel like the, 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 Trump, the Trump stuff, even though it was only in the first episode, even though a huge spotlight on it, and she's saying how she voted for him, and she wants to talk about the voters that did vote for him, and, she, you know, he got on the phone with her, and he tried to take credit for some of her ratings, which probably didn't make her very happy. <laughs> I feel like maybe that flew too close to the fire for some people. It I may have. I mean, may, maybe ABC can make it work. I feel like, as you've said before, that John Goodman can definitely get the love. I feel like Roseanne herself, maybe, you know, they're bringing it back so there'll be another season maybe that season two or season 12 i think if it's or 11 if i if you add it to the the previous years um i think that might be the one i just think right now uh, she's too there's a there's a little bit of radioactivity there well maybe i'm wrong the fate of the fate of hang on hang on the fate of roseanne is a question mark with tv academy voters we don't know there's really little precedent for this kind of trend going on and particularly for this show coming back as big as it did so we'll see there i i i don't know i i mean to be continued as norman lear likes to say now speaking of which i know you're going to be we're going to be talking to you talking to norman lear but before that talk about something that's not quite radioactive but lightning in a bottle a word from our sponsor this week's episode is brought to you by warner brothers television and dc entertainment's acclaimed drama series black lightning from executive producers salim akil mara brock akil and berlanti productions for the cw the new york times declares black lightning is pulp with a purpose while the Los Angeles Times calls it a thrilling, smart, and pop culture savvy series that bounces between present day politics and escapist fantasy. And The Atlantic says Black Lightning offers what is arguably the most timely and nuanced portrayal of the internal conflicts that can arise within the African American community on the subject of racial justice. For your Emmy consideration in all categories. Well, it's not often you get to talk to a legend, but that's the uh, honor I had when I sat down uh, with Norman Lear, the Norman Lear for my series Behind the Lens. We talked a lot about his uh, series One Day at a Time, the reboot, the Latino reboot of that very successful sitcom. Uh, Another one that he's got going for NBC now and many other things in this man's legendary career. You know, this show not only you know coming back now and all the things it's about but it's so timely now i mean you know the second season uh-huh. you're dealing with a lot of naturally with a lot in the air of trump uh you're dealing with a lot of things that certainly affect right the uh, latino population and and the, well, the fact the that show. both she and her husband who isn't on the scene and uh, you know uh it, are veterans mm-hmm. She is back from, and he still, uh, he gets, comes back for a little bit and then goes back to uh, Afghanistan. Oh, yeah. So we're very current in that sense, and it means a lot to the whole cast to be living that. 
Yeah, and, and to do it every week and, and deal with it. You know, just be upfront yes. about it, right? And then she, Justina Machado, a Latino, uh, Latina mother, yeah. uh, having to earn a living for the entire group. Yeah. A lot of, uh, that, that may be as big an issue as we could face in our America today. There were gay issues. There were a lot yes. of issues. This oh, is yeah. back to the golden age of uh, the 70s, which is interesting. You know, when you had those series of shows, one, two, three, four, five, you know, that dealt with these kinds of issues and things. At that time, it seemed to me that was in the Nixon era. Mm -hmm. And now this is a perfect kind of thing to go back to now, you know, because of maybe... I didn't, I, I didn't think of that. You know, it seems like... But I will not say whatever this is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're still very, very, very politically active, and I know people for the American way yes. is still going yeah. strong. Are you still saying... I don't, I don't wake up many mornings, read a newspaper, and not thank God it's there. People for the American way. Yeah, right, and, and the Declaration of Independence, which you bought. Right. Right. Um, and sent around the country. Sent it around for 10 years. We covered 50 states. And then somebody else owns it now, and we'll be send it, putting it out there also. How is that so important to you to spend, I think, about $8 million or something on that, yeah. and then send it out so that people could see it because of what it says? Because right now, in this time, it seems more important than ever. Well, I had the distinct pleasure of uh, of standing next to it in, I don't know, 150 towns across the country mm -hmm. where uh, families stood online for as much as an hour and 10 minutes. I think that was the longest. Uh, just to get to spend a minute, not even a minute, the 30 seconds the people behind them would let them have wow. uh, looking at that document. And I watched tears coming out of the eyes of parents and children, and uh, but can't overstate its meaning and the impact of it in my town now, in my library or my state capital. Yeah. Do you think we're losing more of a sense of it now? Now more than ever, we need to be reminded of this. I uh, I certainly do. Yeah. We're certainly losing a sense of it now. Yeah. Which is so um, sad, you know. I mean, we it's always been there, and we. Take it for granted, I guess. But I want to ask you about another new show you're involved with. It's incredible. You just keep, you're in a new golden age of Norman Lear now, but it's called Guess Who Died, which yes. I love uh, that title. <laughs> I'm, glad. <laughs> I'm glad. About a, uh, a, uh, a retirement village yeah. where people are still running around on golf carts and uh, visiting each other. Sex is, uh, is, uh, is not a bygone thing in these right. places. And uh, we, it is just brilliantly cast, I think. Right. And it's um, a, a pilot for NBC, right? It's a pilot for NBC. Yes. So this is Holland, going back Holland to... Taylor and... Oh, she's great. Yeah. Oh, just wonderful. And who's my friend? This is 95. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But I want to pay attention to the fact that I forgot, uh, and I'm I'm struggling now. Hector. Uh, yeah, Hector Elizondo. <laughs> <laughs> Hector Elizondo, who I worked with, I don't know, 40 years ago and 42 years ago, and uh, and is brilliant in the show. And your friend Gary Marshall never made a movie without Hector Elizondo in it. 
too. That's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. He was his good luck charm. Great actors. He's it's, a great actor, and he's great in this. I hope um, that NBC, by, this is working with a broadcast network again, yes. you know, yeah. which uh, is interesting, and um, they have not really paid much attention to the senior citizen brigade out there, I don't think. Well, nobody has. I wrote this 10 years ago, Yeah, 10 years ago, and uh, everybody's seen it, all the networks, all the people who are running the uh, networks and the... Uh, the, the expression I heard forever was funny, not our demographic. <laughs> funny, not our demographic. Yeah. Well, it suddenly became, you know, <laughs> there are now enough of us. <laughs> so it is uh, America's demographic. Now, Norman Lear, along with cast members and, and other executive producers from One Day at a Time, which is on Netflix, was at the 2018 Contenders Emmy event as well. Also there was the cast and one of the executive producers of The Alienist, which is on TNT. Now, many of you remember The Alienist from the best-selling book from back in the 90s, but it took a long time to get to the small or big screen. I chatted with two of the main actors, including Dakota Fanning, about the show, about bringing it back, and looking at how some of the issues that took place in the last few years of the 19th century so well talk about so much of what we're talking about in this Me Too era in the 21st century. You can watch the whole video on Deadline.com, but you can listen to some of it right here. For you as an actor, how did you identify with this character and what did you want to bring to her to kind of bring her to life on the small screen? Well, I think seeing a female character in 1896, we're used to seeing um, a certain kind of woman um, in that time because there were so many things that women weren't allowed to be and weren't allowed to do. And... Um, Sarah Howard, she's the first female to hold a position at the New York Police Department. So I think that, that that description alone sets her apart from any other character I've played or a lot of characters that we're used to seeing on the screen. Um, so I really wanted to show a strong character in this time period who is pushing the boundaries that have been set for her, but also um, showing showing the boundaries that are there and kind of how those negatively affect her day to day life too and and sort of how she how she deals with that um, and yeah that was yeah. that I think well, I, I think while maintaining at the same time her being a young woman who's coming into her own and and uh, and figuring out who she is in in kind of a hostile work environment or a hostile society that that isn't kind of set up for her to succeed. And, 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 of course, into that, too, and, and, of course, we saw this partially in the scene with Daniel, is you guys are investigating a, a murder and a series of murders. So there's, a, there's, a, there's sort of an end game, so to speak, here, Daniel. For your character, and we saw here in this expression, there's a lot of tension between your character, Chrysler, and Sarah Howard. I put that mildly, Mr. Chalk Thrower. Um, um, <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about that for you guys, because obviously there's an evolution that happens over the series with the characters and with Luke's character, too. How is that for you, trying to find that role, trying to find that pacing? Well, it was interesting because we're dealing with uh, someone who was, uh, I mean, my character, not only mine, but also um, Sarah Howard and 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 everybody else, uh, were pioneers exploring new fields uh, back in 1896. Psychology had just been born. These guys had to face a lot of obstacles and, uh, and they had many enemies, yeah. exactly, exactly, and there were many prejudices. Uh, and so it wasn't easy for them uh, to, um, to work as a, as a psychologist. Uh, and they were constantly, you know, involved with 
you know, traumas and, and the most horrible uh, events. And back in the days, uh, these guys didn't have, the psychologists back then, didn't do introspective psychology, meaning they didn't see a shrink themselves, what shrinks do nowadays, you know, to cope with the pressure. Not just shrinks, my friend. <laughs> and so, um, and so what was interesting about my character was that he's so good in analyzing everyone around him. Uh, similar to the stuff you read about Freud, but when it came to himself, he gets very nervous and gets uh, into a temper. Like we just. And I think Sarah is the one that kind of pushes him to confront him himself and to confront, you know, when he does something wrong or why he does something. And so that's when their tensions sort of arise when she kind of pokes him one too many times. So once again, thanks for listening to the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes so you never miss an episode, and especially this episode where you actually heard Pete Hammond and I agreeing on something for once. <laughs> yes, and of course, you can find all of our Emmy-breaking news coverage at Deadline.com. So thanks for joining us. I can't promise you're going to hear Pete and I agree again as many times as we did today, but you never know. Goodbye for now. Goodbye for now.